Do you remember your first job? Whether it was in an official capacity for working for someone else and you received a, uh, a, a W-2 at the end of the year, or if it was something sort of on the side, maybe a relative or someone you knew that was paying you to help out, what, what was your first job? I think, I think mine was working in an apple orchard uh, just outside of Newton, Kansas. The apple orchard no longer is there. My grandparents own that, but they, the first real job, first real work that I can remember doing for uh, legitimate dollars was working in that orchard. And we worked hard. We went out at it early and, and doing all sorts of things to, and I learned a lot within that short week that I was working. Um, I was just there working over spring break. That was kind of an arrangement the grandparents had with all of the grandkids. And I, I think about that a lot and the lessons that I learned. I worked at a hardware store for a summer. That was invaluable in terms of the lessons that I learned there. Uh, I worked a lot of different things. I, I worked for a tele-survey company, those places you hang up on now. Um, but it was good character building. I learned to, to accept the word no a lot. Um, I even, you won't even believe this, but I really did, honest to goodness, work for McDonald's. For a time. You see, mine is the prodigal story. But as you think about those jobs that you worked in your early years um, and, and the lessons, more than the money that you made, the lessons that you learned. Sometimes the lesson is, I, ha- I am sure that I do not want to work in this job forever. And that's a good lesson. Uh, but you learn a lot about working with other people and uh, making the boss happy. And you learn a lot about work ethic and what's expected, the written policies and the unwritten policies. All of those kind of things are lessons that you learn. And so as we here on Labor Day weekend think about our labor, I wanted to work through the word and ask us to think biblically about what the Bible says about work. So if you're following along in your Bibles, uh, or you're following along on your phones, I would like to encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 is going to be our key verse for this lesson. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. If you don't have, uh, not familiar where Colossians is, maybe, grab a pew Bible, turn to page 1000. 262. Here's what the word said. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily for, as for the Lord and not for men. The first thing we must understand about work is that work is a blessing from God. Uh, Colossians 3 starts by saying, whatever you do. Genesis the very beginning of Genesis starts by telling us about the work of the Creator. In fact, it says for six days the Lord labored, the Lord worked, the Lord created, and on the seventh day He rested. rested. And now if you think about this, every single created thing that God made has purpose. It has a job, it has a function, it has a purpose. And it's true just as true with the stars and the sun and the oceans as it is with you and I. In fact, 
the zenith of his creation is, is you and I, because he made you and I in, our, in, in, in God's image. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 2, following along, Genesis 2 verse 15, the scripture says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, I want you to think about this. This was the only time. This is literal utopia, perfection on earth. The world was never more perfect than it was in Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you could create a perfect world, I don't know what all would be a part of that, but I think most people would say, well, if it's a perfect world, I wouldn't have to work. But that's not the way God sees it. Because in a perfect world that God created, he gave Adam a job to do. In fact, he wasn't the only one who had a job. Okay, Adam was gardener, Eve was a homemaker, Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. They all had work to do in this perfect world. And that reminds us that work is a blessing. It's a good thing. We should celebrate it. We should do our best at it. It's not just a blessing from God, it should be a blessing to God. And so we think about whatever you do, whatever your work is, and I mean that, I want you to think wider than just your nine to five, but at whatever work you do, it provides you both provision and purpose. And you thought maybe it was just a job, or you thought you were just doing stuff around the house, or you thought you were just taking care of the kids. That work provides you both provision and purpose. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 is, is in the part of the theological teaching of this letter to the Christians at Ephesus. And He's kind of talking about our oneness in Christ and our purpose and all of this. But right before he steps into that, he writes of our relationship and our connection as God's workmanship. And here's what he says. Here's what he writes, rather. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, in them. God created us for good works. He created your job to give you provision and purpose, but he created your life to be full of good works. So that includes whether you're on the job, you should be the best boss or employee that you can be. At church, when you're involved in a, in a ministry, you're involved in serving, you should serve in the best way that you know how. You should ask yourself, is this our best? Is th- does this glorify God in the work that we do? In your family, your work as a, as a husband and wife, you should ask yourself, am I being my best for my spouse? As a mom and as a dad, you should ask yourself, am, am, I, am I being intentional about the time that I spend with my children? See, God's given us good works to do. He's prepared those works beforehand that we should glorify him in them. We, you and I were created on purpose for a purpose. That's how we glorify him in our good works. 
Think about every job that you have, to, to go back to the job thing. There are things that you have learned on the job that you'll carry with you throughout your whole life. Skill sets, mindsets, people skills, etc. Think about the story of Joseph. <laughs> Joseph had to learn to manage Potiphar's household to prepare him to manage Pharaoh's nation. His work in the beginning prepared him for the purpose at the end. That God has prepared you for such a time as this. King David, before he was King David, we're saying King David in our intergenerational classes on Sunday morning. If you haven't joined, I hope you make a point to do so. But he was a shepherd of God's people before he was a king of God's people. You see, in her work, there's both provision and also purpose. And your work should glorify God when it's done with excellence. So work is a blessing from God, but there's a second part to it. And that's this. Our work, when done well and when done with excellence, is a blessing to others. The scripture says, whatever you do, work Heartily, that's the title of the sermon. Uh, some someone wise cracked this morning. He says, "Is it work heartily or work hardly?" Well, sometimes, sometimes people think this. This guy wasn't saying that, but sometimes that's the, the world thinks of it that way. You've probably heard of the phrase "quiet quitting." You ever heard this phrase? Uh, someone mentioned it to me, and so I started looking into it. Now, quiet quitting is an interesting idea. It's not a wise idea, but it's an interesting idea. The the idea of quiet quitting is that you come to work exactly when you're supposed to be there. You do the bare minimum until the exact moment when you can clock out. You don't go any farther. You don't do any extra. You certainly don't go the second mile. You are there for your allotted time and for your allotted job. Well, And that's one way to work. But that doesn't glorify God in your work. That doesn't honor the purpose and the provision that he's given you in that moment. No, God's people should should be second mile people in a first mile world. I, I don't blame anybody on on the the idea of quiet quitting, but that's a worldly concept. (laughs) That's not a godly concept. Jesus said, if if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. There's a concept there that we should be the kind of workers and the kind of bosses that go the extra mile to our bosses, to our employees. We should be second-mile people in a first-mile world. So we're called to work heartily What does he say? As for the Lord. The key to working well is is understanding who the boss really is. It's not your direct report. It's not even the CEO. Your real boss is the Lord. And so in your work, whether you work for yourself or you work for a company of thousands, you should glorify him by working heartily because you're working for him. You're working for the real boss. 
And you want to glorify him in what you do and in how you do it. So let me give you some practical parts on this because I know it's good to have practical parts in sermons. So let me give you some, some practical things. First, uh, attitude is the key to altitude. Attitude is the key to altitude. Let me ask you, when you go to work, whether you go to work tomorrow on Monday or on Tuesday, what's your attitude? Is it joyful? Are are you full of gratitude and thankfulness? Do you smile? Do you take a genuine interest in your coworkers? Are you striving to be the best of whatever you are? (laughs) Or is it kind of dour looking? I went to the coffee shop this past week, do a little bit of study, and a young lady there, you could tell her heart just wasn't in it. She's wearing a coffee shop, (laughs) the happiest place on earth, arguably. I said, good morning. Good morning. What would you like? What would you recommend? Well, I got this coffee and that coffee. I said, can, can I just ask you a question? Do you, do you enjoy what you do? Well, I'm here. With that atti- attitude, I don't mean to pick on it, that young, young lady, she will not gain any altitude. She might not even stay where she is. If I own the coffee shop, I'd say, ah, why don't you go stack boxes in the back? Attitude determines altitude. I've known people who, go, who, who have some of the hardest, most disgusting, difficult jobs, and they have the best attitude in the world. It's not a matter of the externals, you see. It's a matter of the internals. Your attitude is a choice. So maybe here's a practical thing. I want you to work harder on your hard on your job, but but maybe I challenge you, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Because that attitude makes all the difference in your altitude. Number two, you should have a first class. Work ethic. We already said this when we kind of said, be a second mile worker in a first mile world. You should not be the type of person who ever says, that's not my job. If you see a problem and you have the ability to fix it or make it better, then that is your job. That's a first class work ethic. I went to get my car repaired a couple of years ago, and I was speaking with a gentleman. We just kind of struck up a conversation. Turns out, this guy knew the Mock family, and we started talking about the Mocks. And almost the first thing he said was those Mocks Boy, they know how to work. In fact, his comment was, they run to the tractor. They run to the grader when they're doing their work. 
He said, I don't mind paying them whatever they charge. I don't even worry about it because I know they're working. But the key is that they're not working for that guy. They're working for him. And so if you have an opportunity and you're working and you're paid by the hour and you think, well, this is kind of a run-out-the-clock situation, so let me piddle and do other stuff and play on my phone and do the things so I run out the clock, that's not a first-class work ethic. A first-class work ethic says, how can I get the maximum value into this position that God's given me? How can I glorify him in it? All right? And that kind of leads to our third one. And that is this. You should create value. I'm going to say something here. I I want you to listen carefully. You are not paid for your time, your title, or your seniority. And I know some of you think that you are. I say, well, if I were to ask you so boldly, well, what do you make? And some of you might say, I make X dollars an hour. Kind of, but not really. Because you don't just get to sit at home and then send you the check, right? They're not paid for your time. You're paid for your value. You're not paid for your title. You're paid for your value. You're not paid for your seniority. You're paid for your value. Now, I'm not talking about eternal value. This is just practical sermon on work here. You're paid for your market value. Oh, this is hard to hear, but let me tell you. You are paid for the value you bring. So you ought to bring exceptional value. You got to bring so much value that your boss will do anything they can to keep you. You got to bring so much value that customers come because they want to be in a place where you are. You should bring exceptional value. And you can argue with that, and some might, and that's okay. If you want to study further on it, we're going, to, we're going to talk about the parable of the talents tonight. And that's where I get this idea that you're not paid for time or title or seniority or any of it. Ultimately, you are paid for your value. The things that you can do, that everybody can do, you'll probably get paid less for because that's, that's not valuable in terms of the market. But the things you can do, the skills that you bring, the values that you bring that other people won't, you're going to get paid more because you're bringing Value. We'll talk about that more tonight at 6 o'clock. If you want to join us for a Sunday night study, we'll talk about this biblical idea. And, of course, I'm open to discussion on it. But I think, I think on a practical sense, and even in a worldly sense, we're paid, paid for the value that we bring. So my estimation of that is we ought to create a lot of value. Working others, uh, working is a blessing from God. Working well is a blessing to others. And when you do it right, it's going to bless you. Let me give you a story and then we'll close. Two weeks ago, Christian and I celebrated our 23rd anniversary. And so, in celebration of that anniversary, we decided to go to dinner. And we decided to go to dinner out east at a place called Firebirds. I've been to Firebirds a few times over the years. Nice place. You know, my normal place is not open on Sundays, so. We made a reservation. We went there, checked in with the hostess. 
See, she, she said, Chantel will be your waitress. Chantel came up and she smiled so big, you would have thought, you know, she had just had the best day of her life. She said, hi, welcome to Firebirds. I'm so glad you're here. Follow me right this way. I have your table ready. And she almost skipped to the table. She brought us to the table. We were seated. She said, what brings you to Firebirds this evening? I said, well, we're actually celebrating our anniversary. She says, oh, wonderful. Just a minute. And she leaves. We think, what? this is weird. And she comes back and she has some flowers. And she puts them on the table. And she has a little fake candle. And trust me with the real one. Put the fake, fake candle there. She put some rose petals out on the table. Just off on the side there. And then she looked at us and she said, happy anniversary. And we ordered our meal and she made pleasantries along the way. There was a slight problem with my meal. I'm not a, really a belly aker, so I, I wasn't going to bring it up. But the, the steak was just a little underdone for what I normally like. But I ate most of it and left some of it on my plate. And she came back and she said, oh, did you not enjoy your steak? I said, well, I mean, it's not that big a deal. I said, I, it was, most of it was fine. It was a little undercooked. She, she took it. She took it back to the kitchen. And because I had said I, I was full, I didn't need any more. And she said, uh, she said, I'll take care of that. She brings the bill along with the dessert, which we hadn't asked for. She, happy anniversary. I'm looking at the bill, and it seems a little lower than it should be. And she had taken off the enti- my entire meal, to which I protested. Okay? I said, I, I, didn't, I wasn't... I'm not asking for a discount. I, it was fine. It was good steak for the part that I ate. It was fine. I, I, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll even pay for part of it. I did eat part of it. She said, no, I, I wanted you to be supremely happy. Well, we paid the ticket. Don't you know? You see, she blessed us. Here's what happens when you bless others. When you stop making it about yourself. Well, I didn't get this, and they didn't give me that. And I wish I, and somebody else got this, and I should have got. When you make it all about you, that's a very small world to live in. When you start making it about other people, the world changes. And she served us so well. Don't you know, I, I gave her a big, big tip. And she came back to get the card. I said, I'd like to speak with your manager. You know, that kind of makes, makes him bristle a little bit. And her manager came over and I said, I just want to tell you what a wonderful experience we had. 100% because of Chantel. Because of her actions, because of her attitude. I said, I don't know what you're going to do to keep her, but you better do everything you can. Because she's going to get... She's going to get a raise. I didn't tell the manager this, but I'm telling you all this. Chantel's going to get a raise. I know it. She's going to get a raise either from her boss, because I not only called the manager over, when I got home, I emailed corporate. So they're going to say, hey, Chantel's a high-value employee. We better do whatever we can to keep her. But if she doesn't get a raise from her boss, you know what's going to happen? She's going to get a raise from their competitor. Somebody may be listening to this or somebody that watches it later, works in a restaurant, or who just works in a company, says, I want a five-talent worker. 
I need to go find Chantel. I hope maybe sometime today or this week, you guys decide to go to Firebirds and ask for Chantel and give her a big tip. Because see, when she blessed us, the blessing comes back tenfold. And we, we learn, we understand what it means to work, but not just work, to work well. So work will is a blessing from God. It will bless you, but it will bless your children's children's children if you do it well. And so may you, whatever you do, may you work and work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Our work, whatever it is, nine to five around the house with our families at church is a blessing from God. We have an opportunity in it. And it will bless not just the Lord, but it will bless us and it will bless others as well. The greatest work that was ever done was by Jesus on the cross. As Jim said this morning, it wasn't because of anything that we've done. It's not anything that we bring to the cross that makes us worthy of the cross. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling unworthy, then I say, good. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Well, how do I make that introduction? Some say, well, you pray this little prayer. Some say, invite him into your heart. We say, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, believe and be baptized, and live as a disciple, walking in the light. If you have that need this morning, or any other need, our shepherds are going to be at the back. They'll be happy to receive you. Whatever your need might be, won't you come? Head straight to the back as together we stand and sing.